our sins. He is faithful and just and has sent an advocate for our sins, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's in Him we hope. It's in that gospel hope that we're here to worship God this morning. Let's now open the Word of God, which comes this morning from Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, we'll begin in verse 50, and we'll read through 24, verse 53. Luke 23 tells the story of the death of Christ, and verse 50 begins with His burial. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, that is, to crucify Christ. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. 
Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were, he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to, to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. So far, the word of our God. The text which I'd like to focus on this morning is verses 13 through 35 of Luke chapter 24, and that deals specifically with the the account of the two men on the road to Emmaus. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as I've been studying and and reflecting on this text over the last week, the thing that has made the, the greatest impression on me is how Jesus' resurrection absolutely changed everything 
for those two disciples when they, when they discovered that he had truly risen. Now, that's true for every one of the disciples, of course. That's why they, they went from disappointed and discouraged and afraid fishermen to bold apostles who went out into the world uh, and even gave up their lives for the sake of proclaiming the name of Jesus. There was a, an absolute transformation. And, and the thing that made the difference for all of them was discovering that Jesus had truly risen. And that's why the Christian church even also exploded uh, throughout the world and, and continues to explode around the globe today. It's all entirely because of the truth of the resurrection. That's why this is such a big day in, in Christianity and churches around the world, one time zone after another, are coming together to sing their praises, uh, probably more on this day than any other day in the year, uh, because of the truth of the resurrection. That's why literally billions of Christians are singing God's praises even now. But this text gives us a, a microcosm, a, a small-scale a picture of what this looked like for just these two disciples when they discovered that Christ had risen from death and how that truth impacted them and, and changed their entire lives. And this Easter morning, that's where I would like to focus. Uh, we need to see this because the resurrection uh, really is the most amazing event that has ever happened in history. And what happened in, in the hearts of these two disciples when they discovered that Jesus had risen is what ought to happen in, in the hearts of every disciple who believes in Jesus and who accepts the truth of the resurrection. So I want to just focus then on the impact of, of this truth on these two disciples. And, and we'll do that uh, by, by looking at the transformation of their faith. Uh, we'll look at what kind of faith did they have before the death of Christ, then after the death of Christ, but before, uh, before the resurrection. And then how did that change along the journey to Emmaus? And finally, what happened to their faith once they discovered that the Lord Jesus had indeed risen? So that's, that'll be the, the structure for this morning's sermon. Uh, first, we meet these disciples along the road to Emmaus, and we don't know much about who these two disciples are. One of them goes completely unnamed. The other is named Cleopas, which may be the same uh, name as Clopas, uh, who was one of the relatives of Jesus who was there at the cross. May or may not be the case that it's the same person. We don't know that. Uh, but we do know that uh, these, these are two disciples that are not of the original 12. Uh, and that's good to recognize. There were many more disciples of Jesus than, than just the original 12. Uh, many had gathered to him over the course of his ministry. And so we, we meet these two disciples, and the best word that you could use to describe their faith is something like subdued or even squelched, in some respects broken by the sight of the cross. Certainly confused. They didn't expect Jesus to die, though they should have. And, and it seems that their faith is almost on the brink of, of disappearing entirely. And from their conversation, we get a sense of what their faith had been like before Christ's death. Uh, even though we hardly know anything about these men themselves, uh, we find them on the road, and what are they talking about? 
They're talking about the Lord Jesus. That's what was on their minds. Even on the third day after His death, this was all that they could think about. It tells us how much faith, how much hope they had invested in in this Jesus. And, And you can see they were also very close to the inner circle of the disciples. They had heard already the news from the women and the other disciples, and they knew where the disciples were gathered after they uh, found out that Christ had risen. They they rushed back to Jerusalem to meet the disciples. So they're very near to the inner circle. And they talk about Jesus as a prophet. In verse 19, they say he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before God and before all people. A lofty view, if not the full view, but a lofty view of who Jesus was. In fact, in verse 21, they say we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So we get an idea of what their faith was like prior to Christ's death. Uh, They were counting on him being a savior but not the kind of Savior who would die. This is what we also saw on Friday. The Jews were rejoicing at the the coming of the Messiah. The Greeks were interested in this uh, prophet or miracle worker or political figure. uh, And none of them understood what the Messiah actually had come to do, which was to die for sins that we didn't even realize were, were, were as weighty as they were before God. And so when Christ was crucified the faith of these disciples was devastated. Here they are still two days later trying to come to terms with it, trying to figure out what in the world is this supposed to mean. And yet you do see a a persistence to their faith uh, in spite of all that. There's there's something still holding on. Uh, That's why they are still talking with each other. That's why these two disciples find fellowship and and company uh, together. Even though you could say they barely have any faith left because it's all been broken and shattered by what happened to Christ, yet we find them finding some comfort in being with each other, sharing their struggle together. Because in spite of all the events that had happened, their faith was not yet completely gone. It's like they're still uh, somehow hoping that they can work it out together. They can figure out what, uh, what is all this supposed to mean. Because they do know, they declare this to this stranger on the road, we know that he was a prophet. And they had hoped that he was much more. But they're not letting go of what they knew. You see that, that last element in, in their faith. Though nothing made sense, they're not letting go of what they knew to be true. So then this stranger comes alongside them. Now we get to know who it was, but of course the text tells us that these disciples were prevented from from recognizing him. You can read about a similar thing in John 20 with Mary Magdalene. She supposes this this man to be a gardener uh, when she saw Jesus. And so uh, we recognize the the gift of our mental faculties to, to, to be able to see a face and recognize who it is. It's a gift from God that God can withhold and and seems to have done so in this case. And you can see a a glimpse of their faith in the way that they answer the Lord's questions. Even though their faith was crushed by everything that had just happened, yet they do not let go, and they're still bold enough to tell this stranger who they believe Jesus to be, which is a remarkable thing considering that this, this Jesus, whom they are willing to admit being disciples of, was just crucified by the state. 
it's, uh, it shows a level of their faith that they're nonetheless willing to declare to, to a, an absolute stranger who they knew this Jesus to be. And, and that was really the only thing that they had left to hold up against the, the horror and shock of the cross, uh, that they still had the knowledge of who they knew Jesus to be. And so even though they don't, they don't have the answers for this stranger, they can't explain uh, why things happened the way they did, and it seemed like nothing made sense to them anymore, yet they were willing to testify to what they knew to be true. Uh, They may not have even known why they were still holding on, and yet they were still holding on. And so because of that that remnant of faith that's left in them, we see that these two disciples, their their modus operandi, the way they go forward, is to hold before themselves every reason for holding on and to fight back against the impulse of confusion and fear. And so they, they tell this stranger also, uh, it, it happens that it's now the third day, and we've heard some news from, from these women, and you can hear in, almost in their tone, uh, could this be true? Could it be that there's more to this story that we haven't yet seen? Uh, they admit that the other disciples went in and they saw the tomb, but they admit uh, the other disciples did not see the Lord Jesus. So they're, they're not yet at the point where they're accepting that He's risen, nor are they, uh, we should recognize this, nor are they gullible people or, or delusional, like they, they are so desperate for Jesus to have risen that they hallucinated the whole thing. They rejected uh, that idea. They were very skeptical. And yet they don't completely dismiss the claims of those women. They were women they knew personally, uh, women of of reputation uh, and character. And so they don't dismiss the claims. They're not coming into this like uh, 21st century Westerners who say, uh, you know, miracles don't happen, and so I don't care what evidence or what arguments you want to present, it didn't happen. You see a little bit of that maybe in Thomas, but you don't see that in, in these disciples. Uh, They recognize how unlikely, how absurd almost it is that Jesus would rise from the dead, and yet they don't dismiss the possibility outright. Uh, They weren't any more gullible or naive than than any of us would be, and yet they were willing to listen to the testimony of the other apostles and the uh, of the other disciples and of the women. Uh, And and we see the same with all the other disciples as well. the women too, they were skeptical. They didn't come to the tomb expecting to see a risen Jesus. They came to, to give uh, ointments, to, to do some last burial rites. Uh, they were not at all inclined to believe that Jesus had risen. Uh, these are not the men and women of, of legends who, you know, if they had written this story for themselves to make the whole thing up, they would have written it this way. You know, Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead and they crucified him, but we knew all along what was going to happen. And on the third day, we went to the tomb and, and there you go, just like we said. Uh, that's not who these men and women were. They were skeptical. Uh, they were certain that Jesus had died. They were crushed by it. They were devastated. And, and they did not expect him to rise. But their conviction, at least with these two disciples, their conviction that Jesus was a true prophet. He was a man sent from God, mighty in word and deed, and more than that, possibly even the Messiah, 
It was enough for them to hold on to their faith even when all the evidence stood against them. Uh, John Calvin's commentary on this, this text is beautiful. If you want something to read later today, I encourage you to read it. You can find it online. But he says, uh, just commenting on verse 21, he says, Cleopas meets the offense of the cross by the hope of redemption. And though he afterwards shows that it is with trembling and, and hesitation that he continues in this hope, yet he industriously collects all that he can to contribute to its support. And thus you see the holy man, hesitating between faith and fear, employs what is adapted to nourish faith and struggles against fear to the utmost of his power. That's very much what you see happening in the hearts of these two disciples. And so we see, that's, that's in the first place, we see a faith that is subdued by unexpected events, subdued almost to the point of being altogether crushed. Second, notice how this faith is rekindled by God's Word. You see, Jesus didn't right away reveal Himself for who He was. Instead, He opened the Word of God. And I want you to see the effect that this had on these two disciples. Uh, Look at what they say to each other later in, in verse 32. They say, Did not our hearts burn within us as He opened before us the Word of God? What Jesus did in the first place to strengthen these two disciples was not yet to give them the evidence of the resurrection, but to open the Word of God. And and you can see the effect that it had on them. Their, Their small, broken, confused faith latched on to the Word of God and would not let go of it and was rekindled, set back into flame by the Word of God. So verse 25, Jesus then rebukes them uh, after they, they confess their confusion. And he says to them, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And what an amazing Bible study that would have been, how all of us would have loved to have been there for that Bible study. You can just uh, speculate on, on some of the passages that Jesus would have used. Surely Isaiah 53, probably Psalm 22, but what other text wouldn't we love to know? What other text did Jesus open that perhaps we've never even seen how clearly they, they speak of the Messiah? And, and here's what Jesus showed them. The whole of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, you see that later in his encounter with the disciples the second time, the Psalms as well, the wisdom literature, it's all about Jesus. That's what it's all about. He is the key to understanding the whole of Scripture. In Him, it all fits together and makes sense. That's why as a church, we, we preach through books of the Bible. Uh, right now, for example, we're working through 2 Kings. And our goal is always to see how these texts point us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't read it as a, a book of rules in the first place. We don't read it as a book of advice or, or morals. It's not like Aesop's fables uh, where there's a moral to the story uh, that, that you're supposed to learn in the end. Uh, These texts are in the first place 
uh, written to direct our faith and hope towards Christ. Sometimes they show us our need for Christ by showing us the, the depth of our sin. Sometimes they foreshadow the work of Christ. We've seen this in the life and ministry of Elisha uh, as an image, as a shadow of the Christ to come. Uh, sometimes they, they teach us about the relationship with God that we have uh, through Christ, what it means to have peace and, and joy uh, with God. Uh, sometimes they, they show the resounding implications of the gospel. Uh, the truth of the gospel impacts every area of human life and human society, and you see that also in, in the Old Testament. Uh, but it always comes down to the person and work of Christ. Uh, in, 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 this, in the Old Testament, we see the brokenness of the kingdom of this world, and we see how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness and peace, comes through the Messiah that God would send. And we've been seeing that, especially as we've been working through Second Kings. At least, I hope you've been seeing it. I, I've been seeing it. I think I've been saying it. But I, I trust that you've also uh, been seeing this. And we see also God's promises to, to raise up a son of David, to reign on the throne uh, forever. It's all about Christ, And that's what Christ showed them as He opened the Word of God on the way to Emmaus. If we're not looking for Christ when we open the Word of God, we're not reading it as God Himself intended when He inspired it. We confess God inspired the, the Word of God. It was written by prophets and by others, uh, but directed by the Spirit of God. And so Christ walked with them through Scripture on the road to Emmaus, and the goal there was to show them that it was God's plan all along for Christ to suffer and die and then enter into His glory. Jesus didn't yet even prove that He had risen, uh, nor does, uh, at least the way that's worded, nor does it even show that He was going to rise, but He showed them in the first place that the Christ had to suffer. In other words, the offense of the cross that has so broken their faith should not have broken their faith. They should have seen it coming. And that meant that the disciples, when they heard this, they could go from seeing the cross in the first place as they saw it as a massive interruption in God's plans. This wasn't supposed to happen is where they started. They could go from there to recognizing this was exactly what was supposed to happen. This was God's plan for our salvation. That doesn't resolve everything. It still leaves them with the question, what now? Uh, How are we to proceed now? But we can begin to see that when they heard the word of God and they saw that the cross was not an obstacle but a means to Christ's work, uh, then their faith went from broken and confused to burning again with conviction even though they didn't know yet what the future would bring. But they saw that they were right there in the plan of God, as God had told them He would do. And so they recognized everything that God had done in Christ thus far was not not a mistake. It was exactly in line with God's plans. Now, it's it's roughly a three- or four-hour journey by foot. It's only seven miles. It's not that long. Uh, So we can assume that... But, but we can assume that on that journey, a lot of Scripture was unfolded. I take this as my right to preach three or four hour sermons. Uh, but the effect of this for these two disciples was that their hearts were burning with conviction after spending time in the Word of God. And they, they ended up with a desire to know the Word of God even better. 
Such was their faith. They knew, they recognized who Christ was, they believed in him, and then they wanted to understand more. Now, given, given that that's where their faith was, and that's where their faith uh, went after Christ opened the word of God, we might hear Christ's rebuke uh, to them in verse 25 and wonder, was that maybe a little too strong? He calls them foolish and slow of heart. Are those encouraging words to people who are trying their best to hold on to their faith? Well, here's the thing. Christ's point is they ought to have seen what was coming. Uh, God gives us his word. He calls us to meditate on it, to read it, to think through it, to even memorize it. And, and with that, he gives the promise that we will grow in our understanding. These disciples... As much as we pity them and and sympathize with them, we would have been there as well had we been in their shoes. Yet they should have known that the Messiah was going to die. They should have seen that coming. Uh, There are many, many biblical texts to warrant that belief. The Jews today who have the Old Testament ought to see that. They ought to understand it. Uh, An honest reading of the Old Testament unmistakably and clearly shows that this was the Messiah's work. Yes, he would restore Israel. There there were many prophecies about that, and that's what they were holding on to, but he would do it through his suffering and death by atoning for their sins. And those were the, the texts they were not listening to. Think of Isaiah 53, uh, the whole chapter, uh, the verses that say he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, uh, who, who carried our, our sins and our iniquities. Or Psalm 22, the psalm uh, that they themselves understood was the psalm of the Messiah. And it's a psalm of suffering. And yet they did not recognize that this was going to be the Messiah's work. Psalm 69, Psalm 118, the the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus himself uh, often over and over pointed that text out. Why are you not listening to this text? And really, if you think about it, the entire sacrificial system, all the sacrifices, a system constructed by God to show that our sins need to be redeemed by blood, and it's not going to be the blood of goats and bulls. That's what the letter to Hebrews shows us. And the Jews should have been asking those questions: How are how are the blood of how is the blood of bulls and goats supposed to atone for our sin? Why weren't they asking those questions? Why aren't the Jews today asking those questions? According to Jesus' rebuke, it's because of slowness of heart and unbelief. It's because the unregenerate human heart suppresses the truth about our sin. We don't see our sin as as big a problem as God sees it. And then we can't see the need. If we can't see our sin... We can't see the need for a Savior who would suffer and die for us. So what they were doing is they were coming to God's Word, reading God's Word, but not really listening. That's possible to do, isn't it? To read the Word of God, even diligently, uh, but to come at it with the assumption that we already know everything we need to know, we're not going to learn anything new, and when we come at it with that assumption, we will not learn anything new. 
uh, we will stop learning. And that's what seems to have happened with, with Christ's disciples. There's a pride and a foolishness. That's why he calls them foolish. Uh, to think that you understand everything when you're not listening to large parts of Scripture. So we can, we can sympathize with them in their weakness as they hear a, a heavy rebuke from the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus. And we might feel sorry for them uh, as they have to endure that. Uh, but Jesus recognized that it was, uh, it, it was a weakness that they had that was a result of failing to listen to the Word of God. And we should take that uh, rebuke to heart as well. But recognize also it was, uh, we may in our culture feel bad about feelings that are hurt. But it was Jesus' grace, wasn't it, to rebuke them the way that he did, even to call them foolish and and slow of heart to believe. Uh, It was a word, a rebuke of grace. Because in the end, he he gave that rebuke with correction. He opened the word of God for them and explained it to them. He gave them what the word of God, uh, what they needed to know from the word of God. And you see the effect that it had on them. And I want you to see this. Their small, weak, fragile faith was suddenly set alight, rekindled, purely by opening the Word of God. That's the effect that the Word of God has on our faith and is intended to have for our faith. That's why we spend the time week after week to sit before the Word of God as God Himself speaks to us through His Word, corrects our misunderstandings, kindles our faith, and then causes us to see Christ, to see Christ again. Uh, he, he teaches us His ways so we can recognize our place in His plan of salvation. And, and the beautiful thing about that is uh, the, the Word of God kindles our faith, and our faith gives us a hunger for the Word of God. It's, it's a, a vicious cycle of, of the best kind. I think that's called a virtuous uh, circle. Uh, the Word of God kindles hunger for the Word of God. And, and that's what you see also in these uh, disciples along the road. They say, weren't our hearts burning within us? It's a burning desire to know the Word of God even better. That's what we see in these disciples. And that newfound understanding then, this is our third point, prepared them to hear the greatest news imaginable. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time uh, looking at. When they arrived at the village, they urged this stranger to to, uh, lodge with them for the evening because they longed to hear more. They wanted to know uh, even better. And as they sat down to eat, Jesus broke bread and gave it to them. And suddenly their powers of of recognition were restored. And they recognized that the stranger who had been walking with them was none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And when that happened, their small, broken, fragile faith just exploded into being. It was a faith that barely held on when circumstances challenged it uh, and defied their expectations. It was a faith that was rekindled when they opened the Word of God, but it was a faith that exploded into being when they saw the truth that Christ had indeed risen from the dead. And notice how it says they got right back up and headed back three or four hours back to Jerusalem. And, and we know it was nighttime already, so they probably arrived sometime around midnight. And, and the knowledge, we can see that the knowledge that Christ had risen just completely turned their lives upside down so that the hour of the day didn't even matter to them anymore. 
I want you to see then how earth-shaking this, this knowledge was for Christ's disciples. The resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely everything. And the disciples recognize that. So you can only live in, in two kinds of worlds. You can live in a world where dead men just don't rise from the dead. That kind of thing just doesn't happen. A world in which death always gets the last word. Or you can live in a world where Christ has risen from the dead. And those are very, very different worlds. This is not what they were expecting. But the moment they realized that that is what had just happened, their lives were just turned upside down. Now, I don't want, we shouldn't think that, uh, that the only reason these disciples rejoiced the way they did is because they actually had the privilege of seeing the Lord in person. Uh, we can see their hearts were already burning before they even recognized who the stranger was. Uh, they're not like Thomas who insisted that he had to see, otherwise he wouldn't believe. They, they had a faith that was able to be kindled by the Word of God, that was interested also in the testimony of the other women and the other uh, apostles. Uh, they, they recognized, of course, how incredible the resurrection was, but they were able, they had a faith that was able to believe it. And even though they had, and even though uh, we ourselves have not yet seen Jesus with our eyes, we do have just as much reason, just as much reason to believe that he arose as they did. Uh, we can see the same testimony that Jesus showed them along the road. We have the word of God too, and we're called to open it. We see Jesus in it. We can hear the testimony also of the four gospel witnesses, four different uh, Four different perspectives that uh, testify unanimously in the truth that Christ did indeed rise from the dead. We can hear the witness of Paul who encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, as well as many other disciples, and he even mentions in his time 500 other disciples who also encountered the risen, the risen Lord Jesus. You don't get that many people to hallucinate at the same time. And, and recognize these are people who moments before were, were confused, broken fishermen who, who didn't believe that Jesus would ever have risen, and who afterwards were people who went and gave their lives gladly to proclaim the name of Jesus to all the nations. Uh, they knew, as much as we do, that resurrections don't happen, uh, and yet they recognized that it did happen. And we can see also the, the way the church just exploded throughout the Roman Empire in fulfillment also of the word of Christ, who said, uh, think of the parable of the mustard seed. It starts small, but it will fill the earth. The leaven also that will leaven the whole earth. And we see that in fulfillment of Christ's words, the word of God went out, the gospel went out, and many, many people came to Jesus. What Jesus saw in, uh, said in John 12, we saw in on uh, Friday, where he said, When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so we see in fulfillment of his words that has been happening. Uh, you can look at the conviction of these Christians who saw Christ risen or who heard the testimony of Christ risen and gave their lives to the lions, to the fires, because of the solid conviction that they had that Christ had risen from the dead. Now you might say like Thomas, yes, but, but, but these things don't happen. People don't rise from the dead. Well, I know, that's, that's the point, isn't it? 
As one pastor says, uh, that's why it's a miracle, not a Tuesday. Uh, That's why they celebrate. That's why the Christian church, ever since that day, has come together every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection and every Easter uh, to, to have a special commemoration of this most significant event in human history. That's why this turned their lives upside down. Uh, they were just as skeptical as any of us might have been. But they were there when Jesus said he would rise. They heard the testimony then of the women. They saw the Lord Jesus themselves. They heard the testimony of other disciples. And they discovered that this event was consistent with what God had said in his word would happen all along. And that's why they believed And that's why we celebrate. Uh, That's why the church exploded the way it did. That's why these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the other disciples had their lives so dramatically turned around. Of course, it's unusual. Of course, people don't rise from the dead. It's only ever happened once, at least in that way. But it happened in fulfillment of the word of God, as the Lord Jesus had said would happen many times, and as hundreds of eyewitnesses then confirmed. And if it's true that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything, doesn't it? It confirmed in the first place that Jesus really was who he said he was, not just a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but the very Son of God. It confirmed for the the other disciples that every word that the Lord had spoken was true. And I don't think they even realized right away what massive implications the resurrection of Christ has for all of us. Think about it. These two disciples had only just begun to understand the meaning of the cross. They, they before that, didn't even realize why Christ had to die. Uh, so surely they did not yet even begin to grasp the full significance of the resurrection. But it wouldn't be long before they did. We hear that Christ taught them for many days afterwards, opening the word of God uh, with them. And it's only 10 or 12 years from uh, A.D. 33 when Christ died to the first years when, when Paul began writing his letters. And we see the knowledge of these disciples having grown so much in understanding not just the meaning of Christ's death, but also of his resurrection. Because the the resurrection doesn't just mean that Jesus was who he said it was. It does confirm that. But it also means that his death really was what he said it was. It really meant what he said it would mean. It is a payment uh, from God to purchase with his blood those who belong to him and to redeem them from their sin. The disciples began to to see that. Uh, And if that's what Christ's death is, Christ's resurrection is God's seal of approval on that sacrifice. That God sees us as having been there on the cross with Christ, and God takes us then with Christ into new and everlasting life. In other words, if the testimony of of these many disciples is true, that Jesus rose from the dead, here's what the resurrection means for you and for me. This is what the disciples began to realize. Number one, of course, that Jesus is who he said he was. Not just a prophet, but the very Son of God. Number two, that Jesus' death was not just the death of an innocent man, not just a great, uh, terrible mistake, but the death of the Son of God sent from heaven to purchase you and me by his blood for himself to save us from our sins. 
As Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The resurrection means that is what His death was. And number three, if that's true, then the resurrection means that that purchase is complete, that the curse of death that He came to free us from is indeed gone uh, for all of those who belong to Him. See, people sometimes ask, you know, if, if, if Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid for our sins, why do we even need Christ to, to have risen from the dead? Well, this rises from a, a misunderstanding of Christ's work. Christ didn't just die on the cross to, to simply trade places with sinners. He died on the cross to buy sinners for himself, to make us belong to him. And so when he died on the cross, God sees us as having died on the cross with him. And if that's what happened on the cross, then you see the implications of the resurrection. If Christ had only died on the cross and we with him, then God's justice would have been satisfied, but every one of us would still be dead. But when Christ rose from the dead, we were brought from death into new and everlasting life with God. Christ did not remain in the grave. He rose, and by so doing, he conquered death for every one of us who belong to him. We will go where our master is. We are, in God's eyes, united to Christ. We belong to him. He's bought us. And, and so because he has risen, we who belong to him can know we will rise as well. The curse of death has no more power over those who belong to Christ. And that's why the, greatest, uh, that's why the resurrection is the greatest event in history. Not only because it's, it's never happened before, not only because it's, it's a miracle of, of the greatest magnitude, not only because it proves who Jesus was, but because for every soul who's bought by his blood, it's the turning point in history. It's the moment when death has no more grip over those who belong to Christ. Every one of us who's ever buried a loved one knows in the deepest parts of our hearts that death is not the way the world was meant to be. It's a curse. It's an intruder in our lives. As the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, uh, eternity is written on the heart of man. We long for eternity because we were made for eternity. And no culture, uh, whatever means any culture has to... to to comfort its people in, in the face of death, it's never good enough. Cultures might speak of some reincarnation. They might talk about maybe our souls become united with the universe. We could maybe spread our ashes over mountains or rivers. But none of that gives us the comfort that we need because it doesn't deal with the fact that eternity is written on our hearts. We're meant to live forever. None of that answers the anguish in our hearts when we deal with the reality of death. Because it doesn't answer the conviction that we know that we were not made to die. Well, the resurrection of Christ is the only answer to that cry. Because it takes the curse of, of death and deals with the curse of death head on. The reason we die is because we've fallen from God, because we're sinners. And the cross deals with the sin, and the resurrection removes the curse. 
if we had been bought with the blood of Christ, if our sins had been nailed to the cross of Christ, as Paul says elsewhere, what does the resurrection mean for us? It means life eternal with God. It means the anguish of death is over and gone for those who belong to Christ. It means these these weak, fragile bodies that, yes, we will have to lay in the dirt. They are like seeds that we plant for the future resurrection. And what rises with Christ will be far more glorious than even what we put into the dirt. It means that by God's power who raised Christ from the dead, every one of us will also be raised with him. His resurrection, as our catechism says, is the first fruits of our resurrection. And so, brothers and sisters, consider the joy and the implications that this had for these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who, were only, who first discovered that Christ had risen and were then only beginning to understand how great an event that was. Consider the reasons for rejoicing that they had, many of which they did not even yet realize. Consider what kind of morning dawned on the day that Christ arose from the dead. Truly the turning point in history itself. And consider what glory you and I, who belong to him, whose sins are paid for by his cross, what kind of glory we are about to inherit. Let me conclude with just a word of uh, a word to, to any guests who might be in our midst uh, who, who are not Christians. If you're here and you're wondering about the testimony of Christ, do listen to the testimony of these witnesses. You can accept it or you can reject it, but you cannot dismiss it. If Jesus rose, it is the greatest news in history. Open the word of God then yourselves. Listen to the testimony of the prophets and, the, and of Moses and of the Psalms. Open the word of God. Pray for the Spirit to open your mind to understand what God has written there. And then turn to Him. Repent of your sins. Believe in Him because He is who He said He was and He has risen from the dead. The Lord Jesus said in John 10, My sheep will hear my voice. Or in John 6, All whom the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Or in John 11, verse 25, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Turn to him believe in Him, and belong to Him, that you may discover in Him reconciliation with God and eternal life forever. Amen.